y dos. Y dos. Una. Y dos. Y dos. Hello and welcome to Cortez NYC Livestream, the podcast. This show broadcasts twice a week out of New York City. We are your hosts, Cortez NYC. And Carla de Puerto Rico. And on the show, we talk about art, creativity, city life. From a Latino perspective, I'm a visual artist. And I'm a singer. And this is episode 56. As always, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify, and also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. And don't forget my online store, CortezNYC.BigCartel.com. There I have things for sale. I have original art. I have graffiti pins. I have stickers. I have posters. Uh, so please log on and help support your favorite artists. And a shout out to all our listeners, our new listeners, and our old listeners. Thank you for listening <laughs> and for tuning in. Uh, from what countries oh, do we have we got listeners? listeners from the United States, United Kingdom, Sweden, Spain, what? Trinidad and Tobago, Germany, Switzerland, Canada, and some listener from Australia. Wow. Cheers, mate, from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for listening and stay tuned. And let's do this. Uh, continuing the museum... Tour. The Free Collection. All right. The Frick Collection. Are you ready for this? Sounds freaky. Is this the part three of our tour here? Yeah. All right. So it's the third museum we're reviewing. The Frick Collection. Well, for you guys that are, are following this podcast, you probably have already listened to the other two. But I've been on this little kick of reviewing some of my favorite pieces from some of my favorite museums in the New York area. So far, they've, they've all been art museums yeah but um i'm sure i'll throw a couple of different types of museums in there as well but for now we're going to keep going with this art theme mm-hmm. um so i'm going to talk about the frick museum the frick collection it's called carla do you know the frick collection mm, yes actually i do <laughs> <laughs> have you gone i went i went uh, as part of a school tour <laughs> oh yeah yeah it was an art so it was like an art history class and we went there Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool museum. Very like exclusive, selected pieces that they have there. I don't think it's as popular or as known as some of the other museums. Yeah, no, not really. Um, but I think people should know more about it. Um, I remember, I think my son, I, I wanted to take him to it and I took him to it one time and then he kind of expressed to me that it was not as fun as the <laughs> other museums. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason for it is because it really is just painting, sculpture, and furniture. Yeah. It's a private collection. It's open to the public, but it started as a private collection, and it's run as if it was a private collection. So mm-hmm. that's why it's called the free collection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and it's kind of like a narrow um, style of art. It's not they don't have like modern art they don't have yeah, no. like uh abstract art or anything like that no it's a specific time style. period yeah in mm-hmm. a specific style so i think that's a reason why maybe it's not as known or maybe it doesn't get the attention that some of the other museums might be getting mm-hmm. um but here i'll tell you a little bit of story about it uh so the frick collection is an art museum located at the henry clay frick house on the upper east side in manhattan 
So this is something I, I kind of knew before, but I wasn't 100% sure of. But the Frick Collection is actually, it, it was the house that these people lived in. Mm-hmm. So this, this, they call it a house. We would call it, we would call it a mansion. Exactly, exactly. Especially in Manhattan. I mean, yeah. to think, I think that puts a whole other perspective on this museum because, um, yeah, when you think you, about who the hell lived in this freaking mansion, like when you go in, you you feel like you're entering somebody's house and somebody's home, and it's also because of the way that it's decorated. It's a decoration because it still it still feels like somebody lives there. So this is uh, on the Upper East Side, uh, New York City, at One East Seventieth Street. It's right near the Met, so that's why I always. Mm-hmm. I've gone there a few times and I've always been attracted to it is because it's right there. I can go to the Met and then go to the Frick or vice mm-hmm. versa. Yeah. Um, it houses the collection of industrialist Henry Clay Frick. So that was the guy who started the whole thing. Okay. Henry Clay Frick. Uh, and in his years here are 1849 to 1919. Um, the museum was established in 1935. So he died in 1919, mm-hmm. let's say 1920, let's round it out. Yeah. Uh, so 15 years later, it was established as, as the Frick Collection Museum. Um, the history. Henry Frick started, and I'm going to say this carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Frick started his substantial art collection as soon as he started amassing his fortunes. A considerable amount of his art collection is located in his former residence, Clayton, in Pittsburgh which is today part of the Frick Art and Historical Center. Another part was given by his daughter and heiress, Helen, to the Frick Fine Arts Building, which is on the campus of the University of Pittsburgh. The family did not permanently move from Pittsburgh to New York until 1905. Henry Frick initially leased the Vanderbilt House at 645th Avenue, to which he moved substantial amount of his collection. He had his permanent residence built between 1912 and 1914 by Thomas Hastings of whatever, I don't know, some career in Hastings uh, architecture firm or whatever. (laughs) He stayed in the house until his death in 1919. Mm. Uh, He willed the house. This is an interesting part. He died, right? And then he willed the house and all of its contents, including art, furniture, and decorative objects as a public museum. So he put it in his oh, will that wow. he wanted this to be a museum. That's amazing. That's that's interesting. And yeah. I don't know how many times you hear, I don't know if we have rich people like that anymore who do exactly. things like this. To be right? like, <laughs> I just wanted it to be a museum. But still, you know how they have they have to be making a fortune now. Of course. So so still, it's, it's not, you know, like you're wasting. Right. It's not charity. Yeah. It's still a business. Mm-hmm. It's a foundation or whatever. Exactly. Like a foundation. Uh-huh. Um, but it's interesting that he really did this toward the, towards the end of his life. And to, put thought to it. To, exactly. To think, I want this to be a museum. Yep. Um, so he willed the house and all of his contents, including art, furniture, and decorative objects as a public museum. His widow, Adelaide... Howard Childs Frick, however, retained the right of residence and continued living in the mansion with her daughter, Helen. Oh, wow. So she stayed there against his his will, uh, literally. Mm-hmm. After <laughs> Adeline Frick died in 1931, so this is... That's why it took so long. Exactly. So uh, after like another 12 years, I guess, mm-hmm. I'm messing up the yeah, math. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Then she died and then the conversion of the house into a public museum started. Mm. So um, that's interesting. Yeah. And and that he had established 
a lot of his collection before he died mm -hmm. is interesting. Um, so I'll just keep on real quick. John Russell Pope altered and enlarged the building in the early 1930s. So they began to in expand the building, make it bigger. Mm -hmm. So maybe it wasn't as big as what we see right now. Yeah. But it's still pretty damn big. Yeah. Um, enlarged the building in the early 1930s to adapt it to use as a public institution. It opened to the public on December 16, 1935. Various additions to the architecture and landscape architecture of the museum site have been considered over the years, including the placement of a prominent magnolia garden from the 1930s. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, they, they decorated it. They built it up. They yeah. expanded it. Um, further expansions of the museum took place in 1977 and in 2011. And then in 2014, they tried to do one more expansion, but it was stopped. Hmm. Uh, people in the in the residents in the area, the community, they, they were against it, so they held back. There's still plans to do more expansion, but I guess they have to deal with zoning and the community or whatever. Yeah. Um, so about the collection. So this is this is the part where it kind of gives you an idea of what kind of. What type of art? Yeah, what kind of art are we talking about? Mm -hmm. The Frick is one of the preeminent small art museums in the United States with a high, a high quality collection of old master paintings and fine furniture and housed in 19 galleries of varying sizes within the former residence. Frick had intended the mansion to become a museum eventually, and a few of the paintings are still arranged according to his original layout. Besides its permanent collection, the Frick has always organized small, focused, temporary exhibitions. Um, the, how, the collection features some of the best-known paintings by major European artists, as well as num numerous works of sculpture and porcelain. It also has 18th-century French furniture, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and basically, it talks about, a little more details they talk about is that um, the original pieces, mm -hmm have pretty much stayed uh within the collection from his original collection yeah but after the 1930s uh the frick collection grew they continued to purchase more and add to the collection those pieces have traveled mm. so so he's lent those you know the the not him but the collection has been lent yeah. out um for other exhibits but only the ones that were acquired afterwards uh some of the artists that are featured uh Giovanni Bellini, Francois Bouchoir, um, John Constable, I'll name some of the people I know here, El Greco, Goya, um, Rembrandt, Renoir, uh, Van Dyck. So a, a lot of the master painters, um, and I think this is why this, um, the Frick Collection, mm -hmm. this museum, is recommended for illustrators. Mm -hmm. um, if you're studying illustration or if you're studying representative painting, yeah, then a lot of times teachers will recommend go to the Frick Collection, check out the masters there because of the specific um, types of works that are there. Mm -hmm. um, so as I've done in the other tours, I'm going to give you guys a little quick brief discussion of some of the pieces that stand out to me from the Frick Collection. Um, I have memories of it. Really, there's a little area that has these like um, 
Jesus Pieras, like the Jesus coming yeah. off the cross, yeah. being removed from the cross, mm -hmm. in different styles of different time periods. And th those I found really interesting, but I can't really call them out and say, yeah, I, you know, the artist, I know the artist, mm -hmm. or I know the name of the piece other than a Pieta. Um, but some of the famous pieces that stayed in my head, I'll name right now. And I will start with, let's start with, I think I should start with El Greco. So El Greco, uh, they have a, he has a famous painting in there, St. Jerome. It's a portrait of St. Jerome. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the artist El Greco, but this piece, uh, it says year, the year is 1609. It's oil on canvas. Um, and a look, little brief description of this piece is the artist frequently returned to this subject and here shows Jerome dressed as a cardinal in a pose reminiscent of his portrait of Cardinal Tavera. A portrait of Geronimo de Ceballos, Ceballos uh, pointing at an open book on a table covered with a green tapestry. The deep folds in the garment point to the influence of Michelangelo and mm -hmm. Byzantine icon painting. Um, basically, what attracts me to this and what stayed in my head, uh, this Saint Jerome piece by El Greco, is the style. You know, Greco always, El Greco always did like very exaggerated anatomy yeah and this guy has a very long face mm -hmm. a long beard heavy red cloak mm -hmm. um it's not photorealistic no. it's very it's got expression and and, and a, a style to it but uh the seriousness of it the stark background the black background yeah. when you see it in person it's it's kind of it grabs your attention yeah. um so i always like that piece so that's that's one that's el greco saint jerome and el greco has i think two in there two or three pieces in there uh, another one in there, and this is a little more realistic and very uh, impressive to look at in first person, is The Portrait of Sir Thomas by Hans Holbein, the Younger. This piece is, the year is 1527, it's oil on oak. Uh, this work was created during the period from 1526 when Holbein lived in London. He gained a friendship with the Dutch, humanist, Desidrius Erasmus, who recommended he befriended more than a powerful knighted speaker at the English. All right. Anyway, <laughs> it's a portrait of a famous person. Uh, it's really, um, it's really impressive the detail. Um, yeah. If you want to see like oil painting that you would say is like a master, photo real, very detailed painting uh, in the style of of. Hans Holbein the Younger, like mm -hmm. you really got to see these pieces. The colors of the red velvet, uh, the charcoal. Instead of using black, he made it look like charcoal, mm -hmm. like almost black. The browns, the greens, the skin colors, the photorealism of the face. Like, yeah. this is really a masterpiece. And it's from 1527. Um, so, if you guys go and want to check out something, go check him out. Portrait of Sir Thomas looks super nice and then even the the expression in his face yeah it's, it, it looks so real it's incredible if you really want to study um you know realistic portraiture like that's that's the one to study that's really really good stuff um another one just kind of running through these real quick um is the rembrandt uh there's a, a self-portrait by rembrandt it says here 1658 is the year 1658 Rembrandt um, it's a self-portrait it's um, it says here this is the largest of Rembrandt's many self-portraits painted when he was 50 52 years old 
Uh, the paint is applied thickly in rich layers with broken surfaces, highlights, and glazes that confirm how carefully thought out Rembrandt's rough manner was. So it's very thick and, and rough, mm -hmm. the, the paint style and the texture. Yeah. But because of the glazes and everything, it shows that it was purposely done mm. that way. Um, and this was executed during a period of constraint and adversity at a time when Rembrandt had declared bankruptcy and was obligated to sell his vast collections. Wow. Enough about that. But the piece is amazing. If you want to see a Rembrandt in, you know, in, in under one house with all these other masterworks, yeah. that's a really good place to check it out at the Frick. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you don't know who Rembrandt is, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know, but he's he's one of the one of the famous painters for portraits and his painting style. He invented the paint the painterly technique, hmm. what we call the painterly technique, which is that that loose but photoreal look. That when you look up close, you see the strokes. Um, so that's him. That's uh, Rembrandt. Great detail on it. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, another one that is, you know, if you're in New York and you live in New York, I don't know if you realize that you have a Johannes Vermeer painting right there in the Frick collection waiting for you to see it. But there's one called The Mistress and the Maid. Um, Mistress and Maid, it's called. It's from 1667. Johannes Vermeer is known for that girl with the pearl earring yeah. piece that they made a movie out of and all mm -hmm. that. Um, but his paintings, and his paintings are controversial because people have said that he used photography or uh, a version of photography back in the day to be able to capture the lighting enough, long enough for him to be able to copy it mm -hmm. and paint it. His paintings are pretty small. Um, so I think it's possible that that, that really is true. And I've, I've even seen documentaries where they explain how it was done. Um, but the, he has this one painting, Mistress and Maid. It's interesting. I like it because of the actual, obviously, obviously the technique and the colors and all that and the realism and the lighting. But, um, but I think it's the interaction between the two figures that I find it grabs me a lot. Um, he has a few, I think he has like two or three paintings in the Frick. Um, but this one is the one that stands out to me, Mistress and Maid. Um, yeah, they look, the interaction between them, even though it, it looks like it might be a loose type of painting, it, it looks really nice how the expressions on their faces and the way that the other lady is sitting down and like, even though you cannot see the whole face, you can still see and feel their expressions. Yeah, I, I, the subject says here, this oil on canvas portrays two women, a mistress and her maid, as they look over a mistress's love letter. Hmm. So, a little drama there. Yeah. That story. Um, and then, I guess I'll just finish it up with this other one by Whistler. Um, I don't know if some people know who Whistler is, um, but this one is Portrait... Oh, Symphony in Flesh, Color, and Pink. Portrait of Mrs. Frances Leyland. For the wife of his chief patron of the 1870s, Whistler created an aesthetic masterpiece in which the subject and setting form one harmonious visual field. Um, it's a really interesting portrait of this lady. It is symphony in flesh, color, and pink. I think it's all about the dress and the colors and all that. Mm -hmm. It makes it stand out. Um, it stayed in my head. But all right, you guys, go check out this museum, the Frick Collection.
Culture talk, Carla. Yes, culture talk. What do we have for culture talk? So, for this culture talk, I'm going to be talking about rock en español okay. or Latin rock. All right. Let's do it. And I'm going to give you guys a little bit of history about Latin rock, what it came from and how it started. Um, it is fair to say that Latin rock or rock en español is different than the rock that we talk about when we listen to English songs that are rock genres. So, for example, the rock en español or Latin rock is a little bit of every type of rock. You can hear punk rock, pop rock, um, metallica, heavy rock, heavy metal and it's an alternative rock and it's all under the umbrella of rock or rock and espanol right rock and espanol so rock so i think i'm understanding what you're saying <laughs> so in english there's rock and roll there's heavy metal there's yeah. alternative there's all these different categories yeah. but rock and espanol is a subgenre of rock mm -hmm. and in that subgenre is mixed all these all yeah all exactly. these versions of subgenres all under the umbrella of rock of and rock. espanol yeah yeah okay. gotcha so one of the first pioneers of the genre was chicano rock artist richie valens la bamba yes who adapted a mexican folk song and fused it with rock melodies and when he released it la bamba in 1958 mm. And because he was a Chicano, Mexico became one of the first countries to introduce the new wave of Latin American rockers. Okay. So that's pretty cool. I really, I didn't thought that La Bamba was considered rock. I, it's rock and roll. Yeah, it's rock and roll. But I, I personally didn't know, so this was an interesting finding. Oh, okay. Then also the Beatles inspired many aspiring bands in countries such as Argentina, Spain, Peru, and Brazil. And in the United States, the guitarist Carlos Santana uh, yeah. formed Santana, bringing to, the for bringing to the forefront not only their music style, but also the Chicano rock, rock movement. Because when Santana started with his group, it was, it was rock, but it was also that type of like rock and roll and also to f mix Latin sounds and, yeah. and congas and those like sounds that we recognize from our, um, let's say, rancheras and all that yeah. to put it into a rock sound. Well, I mean, Santana, Santana would, from what I know, I'm not an expert on him, from what I know of the music of him, I would say he mixed in also soul mm -hmm. a lot more soul a lot more funk um, yeah uh, the guitar soloing yeah you know the fact that he had these long extended guitar solos in his music mm -hmm. um that's a genre in itself he you know some so many people compared him to like a uh, jimmy hendrix mm. um that that 
that was the kind of rock that existed at that time. Yeah. But Santana took a little further when he, when he mixed, like you said, yeah. the Latin influences and all these other influences into one. Maybe that was already happening from back then. Exactly, exactly. So he just continued But, that. That makes yeah. total sense. He made it popular. Yeah. So for people to know more that uh, Chicano, Mexicano is making this type of music and rock. Um, so in the 70s was when the genre was coined as Latin rock. That was also the same decade as when Santana came out. Um, and during the same, the same decade, Argentines Charlie Garcia and Luis Alberto Espineta were coming out with their own versions of rock. Um, and they became the two key artists that formed the rock and Espanol movement. So they, in Latin America, started the movement of rock and Espanol and what it is. And what was the name of their group? So these two artists that are Charlie Garcia and Luis Alberto Espineta. I never heard of him. I've heard of Espineta because of his writing. I've seen a lot of lyrics and people that quote him in really? different things. But his music, I've never heard, which it should be interesting because I'm sure that he influenced um, the people that I'm going to mention okay. soon. That is like so the stereo and all these type of music groups. So experimenting with pop, new wave, heavy metal and punk, the, gen the genre boomed in the 80s with the formation of bands such as Héroes del Silencio from Spain, Hombres G from Spain, Prisioneros from Chile, Soda Stereo from Argentina, Caifines from Mexico, and Enanitos Verdes from Argentina. Hmm. Which Enanitos Verdes are like, everybody knows. If you, if you want to know, if you want to say, I know about rock in Espanol, you will say, oh yeah, I know Enanitos Verdes and I know... Lamento Boliviano, or I know Enanitos Verdes and I know Borracho y Loco. Never heard of them. Those are like anthems <laughs> for like Spanish, <laughs> Latin rock, and rock I, in Espanol. I really didn't hear of, I didn't hear of them, and I, I know that I've heard, now that you mentioned the title of the songs, yeah. I heard it because you've played them. Yeah, yeah. But I really would never even know the name of the group or anything, yeah. or the name of the songs. Um, but the... Um, The Soda Stereo, I had heard them before. Mm -hmm. um, Los Caifanes? Los Caifanes. Yeah, I've had, I had heard the name of the group, but I never heard any yeah. music. I mean, it, what is uh, Soda Stereo? When I've heard to when I've heard their music, which I, I didn't know about their music until I met uh, a guitarist from Colombia, but he was in Puerto Rico. And he showed me some of his, their music. When I heard it, I, I didn't I didn't thought that they were rock. I thought that they were more like, not pop, but like ballads. Right. With a little bit of a different rhythm. Yeah. But not really rock. Right. So it's interesting to see also that this is like... Considered the, rock. Considered rock. Right. And these are the groups that made rock and Espanol, you know, famous and... Right. and and up there right so rock and espanol began to get international notice towards the end of the 80s and early 90s 
when bands such as The Aterciopelados from Colombia, Café Tacuba from Mexico, La Ley, I believe they're from Argentina, and Maná from Mexico came out to play. So Aterciopelados from Colombia, we played them before, we didn't play them, but we talked about them on another episode when we were talking about alternative music. Yeah. And they're considered rock and español too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they're definitely um, a fusion band because yeah. they mix, their version of rock and español is mixing folk music with tangos, with mm -hmm. ballads, with uh, a little bit of cumbia, a little bit of, um, you know, uh, of, of rumba, even a little bit. They, they have music that sounds like Santana. Even vallenatos. Even vallenatos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they mix in everything. And... I mean, now they're on a different kind of kick, but that's one band that I would say, okay, yes, I did follow their music and, and get into it. Yeah. Mana, I had heard of. Yeah. And I've heard of their music all around. I never became a real fan of theirs, and we can talk about it later if we get to it, but something about their style just didn't hit me, and I think it's because it was derivative of music that I grew up with mm -hmm. in English. Mm -hmm. So when I hear them, I'm, I'm always just hearing the English uh, counterpart. Mm -hmm. Um, because they were probably inspired by bands that I knew of. Mm -hmm. But um, but my not, I have heard of, I have heard their songs, you know, yeah. the other groups, not, not so much. I have heard of La Ley. La Ley had a song that it was called, I think it was something Mentira. And that song also became kind of like an anthem. They had like an, an unplugged MTV concert and they, they had that song, they were playing that song and it was amazing. Um, and they had like two other songs that also became mainstream so in spanish or latin countries we knew about these songs mana came mana became the representation of uh, rock and espanol and latin rock for latin americans and now uh, for latinos in the united states i think that mana yeah. it's a name that everybody I can recognize mana is right now is like the rolling stones yeah mana is like the the biggest name when you talk about when you talk about broken espanol yeah yeah um then aterciopelados i i started listening to them because you showed them to me i didn't know about them before and cafe tacuba i knew like one or two songs yeah. but yeah it's the same is it there these are names that they play they take um they have one song that becomes mainstream and that's how we yeah, know about the rest yeah, of the group yeah. Um, and then I wanted to give a shout out to my Puerto Rican uh, Latin rock bands because we do have a movement of rock and Espanol and never Latin rock. Of, never heard of any of them. Yeah, in Puerto Rico. <laughs> I know. Like you, you might think it's just all trap, all reggaeton, but it's not. We do have different genres and some of these bands are uh, Black Guayaba, Circo. La Secta All Star, Viva Nativa, Fiel a la Vega, Millo Torres y El Tercer Planeta, Escapulario, and the one that really was in the forefront for Puerto Rican Latin rock or rock en español is Roby Draco Rosa. Okay. Which he started, I think he started in Menudo. He was with like Ricky Martin and those type of groups. And then 
um, he became a solo artist and he came out with his own music and when he came out with his own music was this type of uh, soul and rock and a fusion that you couldn't tell what was the genre right. but but if we think about it it is kind of like rock and espanol or pop rock or, or pop rock yeah right yeah okay. and then if you if we want to get into rock and espanol and maybe the quality of rock and espanol now that um i know a little bit more about rock in english i get the influences that let's say groups like Mana have from bands uh, from rock in, in English. Like I know that I was watching this um, award show, the the Latin Grammys. I was right. watching the Latin Ra Grammys and Mana had a special presentation. They played like four songs <laughs> and we were listening to the songs and cortez was like oh yeah this song this song is from the police <laughs> oh yeah this song this song is yeah. from sting oh yeah. yeah this song this song is nirvana and i was like how do you know but the funny thing is that then they played another song and i was like oh yeah this sound exactly like the police <laughs> but i didn't know because i didn't use to the only rock that i i will get it was from rock and espanol so let's say my first um experience with the genre was in Spanish. So right. I didn't know what was the original song or where they got the influence from. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that that's I'm sh that's the thing like I I'm sure that the rock and espanol musicians yeah are fans of the English bands that so came so before them. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're they're probably taking chords and sounds and and guitar licks from them. So it You know, it, it's recognizable to me. Like I hear it, and I'm like, yeah, I, I could hear it in there. Yeah. Um, w w let me ask you this: Where does uh, where does Juanes fit in here? Because Juanes is He's a a form of a, a rockero, even though he went more uh, cumbia and pop. Yeah, that's something. Um, in the article that I got my information from, they mentioned him um, as part of one of that are continuing the the the. That are continuing with the rock and espanol genre now in the 2000s. But he's no longer rock and espanol. But he's no longer. He but doesn't even he doesn't even play the guitar anymore. Exactly. <laughs> but when he had this song like Para tu amor or um, Nada valgo sin tu amor, those songs they were really rock and espanol. So they consider him like as part of the movement as well as Shakira. They mentioned Shakira. And right, Shakira tried to be a rocker. When she started, and with like, they mentioned one of her songs in her first album or second album. And is this is like, what, maybe 20 years ago already? But they still consider them part of the movement because they're helping to prolong the name of rock and espanol and Latin rock with their songs. Hmm. They also mentioned Natalia Lafourcade, which... I really don't think that she's part of rock and espanol, but they they do mention her as as one of of the artists that are continuing with the genre at this at this time. So, all right. Well, thank you for your information, Carla. I appreciate it. Um, I I gotta say I like I like hearing some rock and espanol every once in a while. It, it's a nice break. 
making tribute and, and giving tribute to these old, old bands right. so you keep listening to the yeah. old songs but then right. you come you have these old bands that comes out with new sounds it's like oh okay yeah yeah that's the only thing but listen to some rock and espanol open your ears Hablando español, Carla, do you have any Spanish for me to learn? Because I need to learn some Spanish right now. Yes, so how do you say collection? Collection? Yes. <coughs> let, me, let me get my Hablando Español hat on. Collection is colección. Oh, yeah. That's an easy one. Yes, that, All right. that was easy. How do you say fortune? Fortune? Fortuna. Oh, look at you. Guys, come on now. Okay, how do you say residence? What? Residence. Residence? Yes. Like where you live? Yes. Uh, res residencia? Oh, okay. Yeah? Yes. Residencia, okay. How do residencia. You... Yeah, residencia. How do you say... Yes. Uh, widow. What? Widow. Widow? Widow. Widow. Uh, widow is... Oh, that's a good one because it, sound, it sounds nothing like it. Uh, widow is... Viuda. Yes. Viuda? Viuda. Viuda. All right. Got it. Um, how do you say... Industrialist. 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 <laughs> Industrialist is uh, that's a tough one. Industrialist is like um, that's like a businessman. Industrial. Industrialista. Yes. No. Industrialista. Industrialista. Okay. Mm -hmm. Industrial. I that one I took a guess. Well, good guess. All right. Um, how do you say high quality? High quality is um, alta calidad. Yes. All right. Um, how do you say this is the last one I have? Uh, mansion. Mansion is mansión. Yes. So all wow. your all your words minus one are the same, only a different pronunciation. They are? <laughs> oh, well, yeah, they, they, they say you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all the same as yeah. English, except a different pronunciation. Mm -hmm. All right, I got lucky. Uh, how about for you, I have... Um, how do you say drums in, uh, in Spanish? Hmm. Is it the bat batería? Yes, batería. 
So there, there's drums like tambores. Yeah. But specifically drum kit, right? The drum so kit of the rock band. Batería. Is batería. I don't yeah. understand why they call it batería though. Me neither. That throws me off. Whenever because I, it's when, like battery. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sounds like battery, like a like a rechargeable like a battery. Rechar- yeah. Yeah, that, that always throws me off. Um, how do you say electric guitar? That's easy. Uh, guitarra electrónica. No es eléctrica. Guitarra eléctrica. Guitarra eléctrica. Oh my god, you see? <laughs> I know. You learned something, Carla. <laughs> um, is there a word for heavy metal? Or is it just. Heavy metal. Um, metallica. Well, eso lo que, eso lo que that's what I've español. heard, yeah. So, like, they, so heavy metal, they call it metallica. Yeah. But metallica is a band. The, the name of the band. That's interesting. That's pretty interesting. That might be just me. It might be just Spoilers. you. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, uh-huh. All right, yeah. So, um, and how do you say, we were talking about the museum um, expanding. How do you say, how do you say expansion? Expansión. Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> um, how do you say, how do you say will? The guy died, the, the guy from the Frick collection. This one is a, is a good one. And he died and he left his will. And in his will, you know, he asked them to turn his house into Pay museum. attention. How do you say will, Carla? You say like this. Testamento. What? Testamento. Really? Testament. Your last, your will and testament. Your last will and testament. Yeah. Yeah, they, they say testamento. That, Tiene que dejar un testamento. Testamento. They say that in English, but they now we just say will. But the whole so te- the whole name is what? Will, will and testament. Yeah. Will and will and testament. Will and testament. Yeah. So it's both kinda, things like because it's kind of what like you want and then what you let stating what you uh huh. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because the will is like what you what you want. You, your your will, wishes. Your wishes, right? And, and tes- testament is because you're you're saying it aloud before you die. You're making a formal statement of mm. kind of like I guess uh, I don't know maybe maybe <laughs> a, maybe <laughs> I gotta look it up. There has to be a difference between will and testament because yeah. a will a will to me sounds like you're it's something that you would want right like what you mm-hmm. want. But then a testament sounds like you're maybe it has nothing to do with with. Uh, ownership mm-hmm. but more of a, of a, not property but like a testament could be like maybe that you're decreeing something mm-hmm. to be done right 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 like maybe. on their my name do something i'm yeah, testifying yeah, I I'm I that <laughs> i want you guys to share my house and keep my microphones for a museum all right quickly uh how do you say museum Museo. We've gone through this one a million times, yes. probably on this show. Uh, and how do you say um, going back to the rock bands? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you say how do you say rock band? Banda de rock. Banda de rock. All right. So it's not a rock. It's not a group. No es un grupo. It's a, no. It's una banda. Yeah, una banda. Una Usually, banda. when it's 
about music when it's a band is is a banda, una banda. All right, we've learned a lot of Spanish right now, Carla. Thank That's you so great. much. I feel no, so Spanish. Thank you. I've learned a lot too. I'm ready to listen to some rock in Espanol. Yes. And let's go, go to the free collection mm-hmm. with my headphones on. In rock in Espanol. Y rockearla. Dale. episode done Carla yes painless painless next episode will be episode 57 mm-hmm. I think we're going to continue our museum, museum tour our museum tour and I think next episode is going to be Thanksgiving yes it's going to be Thanksgiving we got to be making our plans already this week you guys out there listening to this make your plans get your food together get your <laughs> go to the supermarket before all the turkey's gone and cranberries <laughs> all right catch you guys next time Thank you.